So she was um, diagnosed with stage one breast cancer in 08-09. She went through treatment and she was, um, she was okay. In July of 2012, which was just a year ago, um, it recurred, stage four breast cancer. It was called triple positive, which I don't understand, but she says it's an easier kind of cancer to treat, which was pretty good news. But her entire liver was involved and her entire lymph node system was involved. That was one year ago now. In September, um, she, she did treatment after that, um, after that diagnosis. In September, she had a PET scan. The liver was dormant, which was good. The lymph system had decreased activity, which was good. In October, she had another PET scan. The liver was still dormant, but the lymph, the lymph node system had woken up and had, again, it had cancer activity. So they put her on a new treatment. Another PET scan in December of 2012. And then in January, they decided she had lots of symptoms going on in her body. And they decided to send her to Sloan Kettering. She's from Florida, she lives in Florida. Sloan Kettering, I believe, is in DC. Not positive, but it's on the East Coast. Where is it? New York City. New York City. Okay, New York City. Um, that's when she contacted me. So she contacted me in January. She found it was totally Holy Spirit ordained. Somehow she was online or whatever. Found our website. Contacted me via, I don't remember, Facebook, I think. And, um, and started following along. So she started following the video teachings listening, doing, being a doer of the word, began seeking Jesus the healer. Um, she was, is, she is in the medical field and so is her husband. I don't know exactly what she does, but that's a tough place to be because you know physically what's going on. You know all of the medical jargon and you know all of the details. So that was a little, you know, thing that she had to deal with, but she contacted me in January and then she had to wait until March with no treatment before she went to Sloan Kettering because that's when she could get in. So from January to March, she was in a waiting period and she had a lot of symptoms and she was just new in knowing Jesus the healer. She was just new in seeking and, and praying and praying God's word and the things that we're going to talk about tonight. She was brand new. So in March of 2013, she went to Sloan and she was re-biopsied. Now it was triple negative, which she told me is much more difficult to treat. Um, the, the meds that they had planned on giving her were no longer ap applicable and she had new symptoms that included fuzziness and lack of clarity in her thinking. So they did a brain scan and it showed three spots. So she is, needless to say, not doing well. She's not doing well physically. She's got a lot of fear, a lot of symptoms, but she's seeking God all the way through this. She stood and was applying God's word and was um, in a new place in her life that she'd never been in before. Um, she went and had some treatment and new chemo. She still had symptoms, new symptoms. Uh, I'm not going to go into all that. And she had a lot of time to wait. In April, 2013, she had a follow-up at Sloan. And because of some of the symptoms that she had, they did another scan and they found a lesion on her spine. So now it's in her liver, her brain, her spine, and her lymph node system. Um, it was on her spine. 
They scheduled her for a treatment, uh, it's called a cyber knife treatment. When she went in for it, they did another scan. They went in and they looked, and the, the thing that had very clearly, very clearly been a tumor wasn't. The diagnosis changed to a hemangioma, which is completely not a problem. It's a, it's a benign kind of thing. So that was her first really good report. I remember her calling me. It was before a Wednesday night meeting. So she was thrilled. They did a, uh, and at the same time, when she was at Sloan, they did a follow-up brain MRI, and it showed nothing. The, whatever was there was gone, and it was as if it had never even been there. There was no indication that it had ever even been there. So I, I didn't want to tell you a lot of junk, but I, you needed to hear all that stuff to hear what God has been doing in her, okay? So that was in April. She had another PET scan in June. Oh, I have to back up just a little bit. That was April. She had two good reports, the spine report, the brain report. But she still had a lot of symptoms in her body. The enemy was attacking her in a great big way, and she really, really needed spiritual support. She really needed to be immersed in the Word of God she needed to hear and to receive God's word. She needed to call and text and, and, you know, she didn't have anybody down there. She doesn't go to a church that teaches what we teach. She doesn't have a system of people to surround her like you guys have here. So I've been, you know, contacting her a lot via phone and texting and Facebook and things like that. So then comes June, this month. She had another PET scan. Um... Remember, the liver had been dormant, but in the midst of this time, she started having symptoms. She called it nagging mild pain in the area of the liver, but she took the thoughts captive. She's starting to apply God's word. So even though she was having some nagging symptoms, she was saying, no, no, no. She was taking those thoughts captain, or captive. Um, it was, I think, two weeks ago tonight, um, she had extreme pain. She was supposed to have a PET scan the next day, a Thursday, and I knew she was going to go for the PET scan the next day. But on Wednesday night, I left here, and I had a text on my phone, and the, phone, the text said that she was in level 10 pain or whatever, extreme pain, and she went to the emergency room. And um, her oncologist, they did, a pet, they did the PET scan the next day, and before they got the results, the oncologist came to talk to her, and he was very somber, and he told her it looked like the liver had woken up and was active again. But Nicole refused to receive that report, and she chose to receive God's report instead. The PET scan, when the results came back, showed that the tumors that had been in the liver were not active. In fact, they were even smaller than the previous scan. They were not active, they were smaller. And all the lymph nodes had decreased activity. So everything's better. She'd had a lot of symptoms. That was the lying of the enemy. Everything was better. The liver was perfect. The, the lymph nodes were decreased. The brain was perfect. But then in the midst of all of this, oh, and she said, and this was all in the midst of very real symptoms. And then, um, of course, they're checking her liver, and the enzymes were elevated dramatically. So it showed no cancer, none. So this is the enemy kicking her another way. No cancer, but your enzymes are all out of whack, so there has to be something wrong with your liver. So the doctors were checking her liver. They checked, I guess normal is between 20 and 30. 
Um, on Thursday, they were 400. On Friday, they were 1,000. So her liver enzymes were way high. Her specialist, her GI specialist, wanted her immediately, this was Friday, they wanted to immediately send her to a liver specialist to determine why those enzymes were so elevated and to plan treatment. And they were talking dialysis, they were talking, you know, heavy-duty stuff. And this is what she said. She said, no, I'm not going to go to a specialist. I want to wait until Monday, and I want you to do that test again and see what happens. So she had it 400 on Thursday, she had it 1,000 on Friday, and she said, we'll check it again on Monday. She called me, I agreed with her in prayer. So on Monday, she went and she had that checked again, and the enzymes had drastically reduced to 50. Yay, yay. Um, the pain had subsided, so all of the symptoms were going down. She was standing on God's word. The symptoms reduced, reduced, reduced. The enzyme levels reduced, reduced, reduced. And now they're back to normal, completely back to normal. She's in the midst of, of some chemo, I don't know what, but that sometimes causes your liver enzymes to be elevated. But even with chemo, her enzymes are completely normal. Then I got a text this week on Monday. This has all happened within the last few days. And... Um, she was due to have a, the next brain scan in August. But they decided to do it early because she's had those stupid symptoms. She's had some symptoms. Nothing drastic, but she's had some nagging symptoms. So they decided to do it early. She said, and I could read you off my phone, on the day before the MRI, I texted her and I said, how you doing? And she said, I am at total peace. I am totally at peace. How many of you know that in itself is a miracle? Yeah. Yes. She was totally at peace. So then she had the MRI, and I didn't hear from her. So I texted her the next day, and she said, haven't got the results yet, but I have the results. I know God's report. This is what she's telling me. And then she got the report completely normal, completely normal. And this was her words, God is beyond amazing. <laughs> God is beyond amazing. So Nicole wanted me to share this with you as well. She said she knows what it's like to be bombarded with very real symptoms and, and bad medical reports. But when she chose to stand and keep standing on the word of God, she saw the report of the Lord. She said that she kept asking herself, what am I not doing? How many of you have done that? And me, I, kept telling her, don't go there. It doesn't have anything to do with what you're doing or not doing. It has everything to do with what Jesus did. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be perfect. And, and she said, um, this is what her words were, were. She says, you don't need gargantuous faith. You just need a mustard seed. You just need a mustard seed. She says, when I look back over the last six months since January, she is amazed at how far she's come. She says she's living life fully. Look at the life she's living. She's four beautiful boys. She's got a, a beautiful husband. She's living the fullness of life. She's choosing life. She's choosing life with Christ. And she's getting the results. So let's praise God right now. Glory to him. Everybody give him a big praise offering. Father, we thank you for this testimony. We thank you, Father, that this is your testimony. 
And I thank you, Father, that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So that testimony isn't just for her. That's the, the power of the Word of God. It's alive. It's powerful. It's active. It's awesome. What I'm teaching tonight is called, it's an addendum to our um, Bible study book. So if you don't have a, a copy of this, raise your hand. Okay, there's a few people. Um, do we have any more? <laughs> or are we out? Are there some more? Okay, Lisa's bringing some up. Lisa's bringing some. And this is basically um, part of lesson six, but I've just extended it. This is, I believe, one of the most practical teachings that you're going to get about healing. This on page 41 of our book where it's got this little box of what not to do and what to do, that is this lesson um, expanded. So that's where we're going to go. I want to make an analogy right now. God gave me this, actually, when I was preparing this teaching, uh, I don't know, maybe a year or so ago. I, was, he, I dreamed this. I dreamed I was teaching this. And it, he, I was teaching that there is the default in the world, the default that people just automatically fall into. That's how we're wired, the default. And when I woke up, I, was, I went to Kent and I said, honey, what does default mean? I'm teaching it in my dream, but I don't know what it means. So he explained it to me a little bit. And he says, think about a, a computer. When you get a new computer, it's set up a certain way, a certain default. It's the operating system. That's what's in there. You can change it. You can reprogram it. But there's a default that it's set with. The easiest way for simple Cindy to think about it is a printer default. You know, if my printer is set at a, if, if my computer is sent to default to my laser printer, it goes right there. And if I want it to go to my color printer, I have to change the default to go to my color printer. So what we're going to be looking at tonight is what is the default of the world and what is God's best. And as we look at this chart, you're going to see that you can reprogram your heart as you renew your mind to the Word of God. And instead of receiving the default of the world, you can receive the excellence that Jesus came to give us, the life, the fullness of life that he came to give us through his life, through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection. So there's a simple little chart here. And on the left side, it says position to receive. I like to put the positive side first. And on the right side, right next to it, is kind of the opposite. It's the default. The position that most people live in, the, the position of being deceived. Satan is the god of this world. It's in the Bible. It says that. It's a little g. God is the God of his people when we choose to receive him as our Savior and as our Lord. And he wants every one of us to be his kids. He wants every one of us to benefit from his blessings. But in order to benefit, we have to take action and say, Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I give you lordship of my life. It doesn't happen automatically. We have a free will. We are positioned to receive when we're God's kids. But we can 
um, be deceived by not having knowledge of the fullness of truth. It's available for his kids, but if you don't know it's available, you won't know to access it. That's where I was before I, before I came to know what I know now. When I was diagnosed with cancer, I was completely in the dark. If somebody hadn't told me about Jesus the healer, I would have bought the lie that cancer was going to win, and I probably, it probably would have. So let's look at this chart. We're going to take one step at a time, and we're going to look at the default of the world, and we're going to look at that reprogramming, the position to receive. Okay, number one. The default of the world is to meditate on the enemy's lies. The default of the world is to worry. The default of the world, when you get a bad report, is to look at the report and to let it get in your heart and your mind and think about it and meditate about it and worry about it. And have, how many of you have been there before you knew differently? That's the default of the world. In fact, it's so much the default of the world that the world says if you don't worry, you're in denial. Or if you don't worry, you're not a good mom. Or if you don't worry, uh, what's wrong with you? Or don't you have any compassion? That's the, that's the world. But God's way is to meditate on his word. Not the junk, not the worries, not the problem. But God's best is for us to meditate on his word. Would you please open your Bibles with me to Proverbs chapter 4. We're going to look at a couple scriptures. Everything we talk about here is based on the Word of God. So we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20 through 22. Last week, we spent the whole time talking about the importance of the Word and how when we feed on the Word of God, it's alive, it's powerful. And we're literally taking the life of the word in to us, into our heart. Jesus is the branch and we're the vines. And when we take the word, when we speak the word, when we receive the word, the life of the word is being infused into us. This is another scripture that tells us that. Verse 20 says, My son or my daughter, attend to my words, consent and submit to my sayings. Let them not depart from your sight. Keep them in the center of your heart. For they are life to those who find them, healing and health to all their flesh. Love the scripture. I love it. It gives us such deep God direction on what to do with his word. He says to take it in, to agree with him. The word consent means to agree. Agree with him. Even if you don't understand it up here, I just choose to say, okay, God, I like that word. I remember Mark 11 when I was first diagnosed that said, if you speak to this mountain and tell it to go, it has to go. I love that word. I loved it. I didn't understand it. I didn't know how in the heck I could speak to cancer and say go and it would go. But it did. But it did. So I just trusted. I agreed with God. Agree with him. And the word submit means to yield to his word. Agree with his word. Yield to his word. Don't let them depart from before your eyes. Keep them in the center of your heart. You keep them in your heart 
by speaking it. We talked about that last week. When you speak his word, when you speak his promises, and we're talking specifically about healing, because this is a healing class, but this applies to anything that's, that's in the Bible. If you take his promises and speak it out loud, it becomes deposited in your heart. That's just a byproduct. That's what happens. The same thing happens in the natural. If you have a little kid and you teach in the ABCs and you say it over and over and over and over, it, they learn it by heart. God's word, though, is way better. <laughs> and God's word has power in it. There's a creative power in it. And it becomes deposited in your heart. And God says that's what you need to do. Keep it in the center of your heart. And then the result, when you keep it in the center of your heart, it is life. It is healing and health to all your flesh. The word um, health in the, in the um, Hebrew is medicine. That scripture says it's healing and health. That word health is medicine. It's literally medicine to you. It's powerful. And the word life, it says, for they are life to those who find them. The word life there is physical life. There are two words for life in the Bible. One is zoe and one is che. This one is che. The word zoe is God's kind of life. It's the fullness of life. It's eternal life. But che is physical life where your heart pumps and your brain works and everything is alive. That's what that word is. And God says that the word of God is life. It is medicine to your flesh. Do a word search on that scripture. Prove to yourself what I just told you. It's fascinating. So, meditate on God's word. As you meditate on the word of God, it, it will become firmly established in your heart. But if you meditate on the default... If you meditate on the doctor's reports or on the symptoms, on the worries, that's what will become firmly established in your heart. I would like to give you just a tiny example of what I mean when I say meditate on the word. I'm going to take a scripture and I'm going to meditate on it. And if you want to open your Bible with me to Romans 8, 11, so you can see the scripture in front of you. Romans 8, 11. This isn't on the, on the um, overhead. I wasn't planning on doing this. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Okay, that's a scripture from the Bible. Now I'm going to take that scripture and I'm going to meditate on it. And all I do when I meditate on it is I talk to myself about what the word says. Sometimes I take the exact words and I just read them out loud two or three or four or five times. Sometimes I take the scripture and I read it in two or three or four translations. That's meditating on the word. I do it out loud. It's important to hear the word. But sometimes I take it and I speak, I just talk about it in my own words. So that's what I'm going to do right now. Father God, you say in your word 
that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me. You tell me in your word that the same Holy Spirit that was in Jesus when he walked on this earth, that same Holy Spirit that raised him from the dead when he died, that powerful Holy Spirit is in me. It's not less Holy Spirit. It's the same Holy Spirit. And then you said in this scripture, you said that it will give life to my mortal body through his spirit who dwells in me. So that same Holy Spirit will give life to my body. I thank you, Father, that my body has the Holy Spirit's life in it. Now, if I was dealing with something, which I'm not, but if I was dealing with something, I would speak to that part of my body. When I was dealing with cancer, it was in my lymph nodes. So I would take that same scripture and I'd say, I thank you, God, that the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in me. And it's working in my lymph node system to bring it back to life. My lymph nodes that were sick, God, your Holy Spirit is in me bringing it back to life. See, what I'm doing right now is I'm meditating on his word. I don't usually take lots of scriptures. I usually take one or two or three scriptures. And I just talk to God. Whatever he quickens to me, whatever it, you know, is kind of like giving me a little nudge. I'll say, God, what are you trying to say with me, to me about that? And then I meditate on it. Or I might have a specific need. So I find two or three scriptures about that need. And I meditate on them every day. So that I can get God's promise in me in my heart okay so that's number one meditate on God's word not on the enemy's lies number two speak words of life not words of death the default of this world is to speak about the problem the default of this wor of this world is to tell everybody about your problem to you know because because you're I don't know, sometimes it feels good to talk about your problems. So you tell your husband, you tell your mom, you tell your friends, you tell your work colleagues. You tell, you tell, you tell, you tell. And what you're doing is you're speaking about the problem. You're magnifying the problem. That's not God's best. That's the default. God's best is to speak words of life. When you talk about the problem, you're speaking words of death. And I'm not saying you're saying I'm going to die. But when you're speaking negative stuff, that's, that's what you'll get. When you're speaking God's promises, there's power in that. Let's look at scriptures to back that up. I want to start with the same scripture we were in, Proverbs 4. And I turned my Bible, so I have to get back there. Proverbs chapter 4, when you continue right on, verse 23, says... Keep and guard your heart. You know, we just said, keep that word in the center of your heart, right? And now God says, guard that word that's in your heart. Guard it. With all vigilance. And above all that you guard. For out of it flows the springs of life. And then he tells you how to guard it. Put away from you false and dishonest speech and willful and contrary talk put far away from you. 
So to guard your heart, guard your mouth. To guard your heart, be careful of what's coming out of your mouth. The next scripture is, is writ, well, it's written in my paper. Maybe it's not in yours. I don't think it is. No, Proverbs 18, 21. Would you turn there in your Bible, please? I like you if you have a Bible to really go to the scriptures so that you can see it with your own eyes and you can underline in your Bible and write notes in it. So I like to take a minute to turn to those. Proverbs 18, verse 21. I'm going to read it in two translations. The first one is the Amplified. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they who indulge in it shall eat the fruit of it, for life, for death or life. So what this scripture is saying is that the words that we speak result in the fruit of the words that we speak. So if you sow words of sickness and the problem, that's the result that you often have. If you speak words of life and, and good stuff, positive words, that's the result that you have. The Message Bible is even clearer. It says, words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. So, what are you magnifying? Are you magnifying the problem or are you magnifying God? Are you magnifying all the issues? Are you talking about all the issues? Or are you talking about the goodness of God? I remember when I was going through this and my friend Jenny was mentoring me and, and she was telling me, you've got to be careful about what you speak. I thought, so then I said, but then what do I talk about? People know I've been diagnosed with cancer and they want to know all about it. They love you. They have compassion. Of course they want to talk to you about it. But I found a really easy way to change the conversation they would ask me usually they started with how are you doing and I would simply say I'm doing really well God's taking good care of me and the conversation they didn't they didn't push me any further rarely did they probe deeper so I was just very careful about who I talked to and what I said now I did talk to people I talked, you know, when I, I had to make decisions about treatments, I would talk to my, my spiritual mentor. I didn't talk to all my people at work. I didn't talk to even all my family. I talked to my spiritual mentor. I talked to my husband. I talked to my doctor. I, that circle of people I talked to was not huge. And I didn't talk it out by the hour. You know, I just kept it, I kept those words kind of at bay. So words are seeds that you sow. We reap what we sow. Okay, number three. Receive God's promise of healing. Do not claim the disease you're fighting. The default of the world is to claim it. The default of the world is to go to the doctor, get a report, and come home and tell everybody you have it whatever that is. I have, and I don't even like to speak this out loud, but I'm going to give you a couple examples. I have arthritis. I have cancer. I have whatever. Okay? That's the default of the world, is to claim it. The reprogramming, the positioning to receive, is to not claim it. To not receive it. Now, that doesn't mean that it's not a fact. But, if you choose not to receive it, you're saying, 
okay, that might be a fact, but I'm not going to receive it. I choose to deny its right to exist in my body. I'm not denying that it's there. You know, there's a doctor's report. But I am denying its right to exist in my body. You're not in denial. Well, you are. You're denying its right. <laughs> you're not denying it's there, but you're denying its right to be there. And this is the cool thing. The doctor's report is a fact, but God's truth trumps it. God's truth supersedes it. This is something I learned from Pastor Tim, my, uh, the, the man that we minister with on Tuesday night, and it's so good. He says, if you say you can live with it, you will. If you have whatever, you know, maybe you've you got a, a, a knee that doesn't function well, and if you say, oh, I can live with it, you will live with it because you've bought it, you've received it. That's the default of the world. You have... God says in Deuteronomy 28, I, I don't remember the chapter, I think it's 28 or 29. He says, choose life. He says, there's blessings, there's curses. There's life, there's death. Choose life. Choose blessings. Yes. Good girl. That's a good friend. You catch yourself. Oh, Suzanne, that's awesome. Suzanne said that she's, she's been fighting arthritis for a long time, and she didn't start coming here, you know, she'd had it for many, many years. And she had called it my arthritis and didn't know any better. She has a really good friend who catches her, and I've done that, and I try to do it with love, but if I hear you say my whatever, I'll say, don't say that. You can say the arthritis or the diagnosis of don't say it's mine, okay? I'm glad you brought that up because those two little words make all the difference in the world, my or the. Okay, the next one, number four. Is your trust in the healer or in the medicine or the doctor or the alternative treatment? Now, there is absolutely nothing wrong with medical help. Not, nothing wrong with it. Absolutely nothing wrong. We say, do everything you can do in the natural, just put God at the top. But there is a problem if you put your faith in the doctor instead of God. If your faith is in the medicine or the treatment or whatever, if your faith is there, then you're not trusting God. That's the default of the world. We see it all the time. Not here because you guys are under the word of God. But in the world, you see people putting their trust in the medicine or the doctor or whatever. The scripture reference that I would like to share, if you want to go to the next one, and you can open your Bibles. We're already in Proverbs, so go to chapter 3. Love this scripture. It takes all the pressure off of me. Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Trust God. So much easier than trying to figure out yourself say god i trust you i don't know what to do i trust you to take care of me i trust you to show me i trust you to bring me the right answer i trust you to help me to make decisions i trust you 
And the cool thing is, I was talking to somebody before class tonight. If you, if you go one direction and maybe that's not the, right, the best way, God will come around and help you go another direction. He'll meet you right where you're at. He'll take you another He's so good. He loves you so much. You can't make the wrong decision because he's going to meet you where you're at and he's going to help you, I don't know, do a detour if you need to or whatever. But he's always there. And I do it all the time where it's like, oh boy, I'm just giving this one to you, God. I am completely putting my trust in you. Last week we talked about childlike faith. I'm good at that. I think it's something that's easy for me to do. I think sometimes people that have um, a lot of knowledge, especially about medical things, it's a little harder because they, they know more. <laughs> I don't. So I just say, I'm trusting you, God. Trust God first. Trust God first. Go to your doctor. Absolutely. But pray. Pray about your doctor's decisions. Pray about your doctor's wisdom. Pray about the medicine. Pray over the medicine. Put God at the top. Trust God. Number five. Read the Bible. Be cautious of the other stuff you read and the research that you do. The default of the world is to go and research, to go to the internet, to go to books, to go out there and seek and search for stuff about the problem, the disease, or whatever it is, for treatments, for doctors, for all sorts of stuff. The, the default of the world is to do the research. That is deception of the enemy. Now, I'm not saying that you don't need to be smart. You do. But this is what happens. This is what happened to me. When I went out there and started doing research, it put so much fear in me that it literally consumed me and made me sick and made me have more symptoms and put me in a state of fear that was suffocating. That's the enemy's trick. Fear is in his camp. Faith is in God's. And I had so much fear when I did that research that it took me completely away from God. I couldn't even look at God. I couldn't even think of God. I had so much fear. All I could do was focus on the fear. God's best is his word. His resource. Now, I'm not saying you don't need to, you know, be educated. But you don't have to be that educated. You can know basic details. You don't need to know all of the details. I have to tell you what happened to me um, when I was first going through this cancer thing. Um, I came to know some truth, and I started to meditate on God's Word. And the initial deep, dark, oppressive fear lifted, and I had peace. But amidst the peace, I would have bouts of fear. And one of the worst days that I ever had, I stayed home that day, and I, I didn't have a physical reason to stay home from work. But I was just, I was covered with oppression, with, with just a depression and fear and self-pity and junk. And I called in sick, stayed home. And that day, when I was home, I forced myself to go to the bookstore and buy a book on melanoma thought that's what I should do. 
I brought that thing home and I started reading and, you know, going through the table contents and stuff and it just started, this junk, fear, yuck, just started stirring in me. Big, I mean way worse than it was. And then, didn't do enough to myself. The enemy was trying to, you know, cast the line out and reel me in. I went online. And I went to, at that time I was diagnosed with stage four, I think. Stage three, it went from stage three to four. I think it was stage four by then. Stage four melanoma, and I started researching it, and I read what it said. I also went to the treatment they wanted to give me and read what it said about the treatment. I was consumed beyond words, and this is what I did. All in one day this happened. All in one day. I called the doctor. It sounds so stupid when I say this, but it was so real to me then. I called the doctor, and I said, can you get me in earlier? I had just started with a new oncologist. I hadn't seen them yet. I had a consultation at the end of the week, I think. It wasn't that far away, maybe the next week. And I said, can you get me in earlier? I don't think I'm going to live until my appointment. That's how much fear got into me through research. That's stupid. I mean, that's utterly stupid. But it was so real to me. Immediately, when I started buying the lie, the symptoms came. Not before I got the diagnosis, after I got the diagnosis. Lots of symptoms. God's best is to stay in His Word and be cautious. Be very cautious about what you read in the research that you do. What I do now, when I have something going on in my body that I think I need to know something about, I have my husband look for me. I do. I protect myself, and I'm very specific. I say, Kent, will you go and look at this and tell me what it is? I don't even want to go there, you know, and it's just a very minimal definition of something that I need. I won't do it on my own. The eye gate and the ear gate, the eyes and the ears are the windows to your soul. Your soul is your mind and your will and your emotions. We're going to be talking a lot about the soul in a few more weeks. But the soul has a whole lot to do with whether you receive what God has for you in the spiritual realm or whether you receive in your body what the, what the enemy's trying to put on you. Your soul has a lot to do with that. Your emotions, your thinking, your choices that you make. And your eye gates and your ear gates are the windows to your soul. So you have to guard what you're letting in, your eyes and your ears. The default of the world is to go out there and search and seek and research. To reprogram yourself, you have to come. You, it's a different train of thinking. It's almost as if you're being um, not as um, intelligent, you know, because you think, well, I should do that. Oh, no. God says no. This is your resource. This is what you need. Number six. Focus on the finished work of the cross, not your own faith or the degree of your own faith as the answer to your healing. Okay, let me explain that. Sounds kind of strange. If you are questioning yourself, 
If you're saying, like my friend Nicole did I, when I shared her testimony, if you're asking yourself, am I meditating on the word enough? Is there anybody that I haven't forgiven? Am I, am I sinning? Am I, um, um, you know, am I doing God's word? Am I reading the Bible enough? If you're asking yourself lots of questions about you and if you're doing enough, then you are in a place of deception because it has nothing to do with you and what you're doing or not doing because Jesus did it. It has everything to do with him and what he did. When you keep your focus on Jesus and the finished work of the cross, your faith will elevate. You won't have to worry about if you have enough faith or not because you will. If you're worried about your own faith, and the degree or the strength of your faith, and if you're doubting or not, then it's going to cause your faith to dwindle. It's going to cause you to be confused and worrying again. And that's the default of the enemy. He wants that. He wants that confusion. He wants you to be worried about your faith. He wants you to be thinking, if I, am I doing this or that or the next thing? You don't have to do any of it. Because Jesus did it. If you look with me in your Bible at Hebrews chapter 12, will you please go there? I love this scripture. You hear me read this one a lot because I really do love it. Hebrews 12, verse 2. Looking away from all that will distract to Jesus, who is the leader and the source of our faith, giving the first incentive for our belief and is also its finisher, bringing it to maturity and perfection. He, for the joy of obtaining the prize that was set before him, endured the cross, despising and ignoring the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So this scripture says, look beyond all that will distract to Jesus. Look beyond yourself and what you're doing or not doing to Jesus. Look beyond the doctor's report and the symptoms to Jesus. Don't look at your own faith. My friend Nicole that I shared her testimony had all kinds of junk going on in her body. And she was worried about her faith. She kept asking me, what am I not doing? Am I doubting? Do I have enough faith? And I kept telling her just what I'm telling you now. Don't worry about that. Look at Jesus. Look at the finished work of the cross. Keep your eyes there and your faith will rise. If you look at yourself, your faith will slip away. Keep your eyes on Jesus and the finished work of the cross. What does that mean? He died for a great big purpose. He died to destroy death. He died to free us of sin. He died so that we could have life. And that includes wholeness. It doesn't mean life with sickness. It says in the Bible that the stripes of Jesus healed us. By the stripes of Jesus, we're healed. So look at Jesus and what he did for you. And it says in that Hebrew scripture that he did it with joy. He saw the prize. And he did it with joy seeing you and me and knowing that it was for us so that we could live whole. And even though he was suffering 
tremendously. He did it because he wanted to do it, because he loves us so much. We were worth it. We were worth it to him. So keep your eyes on Jesus. This is a Pastor Marie um, saying. Pastor Sarah Marie is our founding pastor of Life Christian Church, and I've heard her say this many times, but it's good, so I'm going to share it with you. She says, most people, Christians, most Christians, pray. They talk to God. They go to him. But then they, they kind of glance at him, you know, maybe in the morning or noon or night. And then the rest of the time they're focused on their problem. They got his big problem, and that's in their face. And every now and then they look to Jesus and they pray, or they look to Jesus and the finished work of the cross. But what we should really be doing is the opposite. We should have our eyes on Jesus. Let's keep our focus on him. Keep our focus on his goodness. Keep our focus on what he's already accomplished for us. And then, every now and then, glance and see if the problem's still there. And if it is, say, you have to go. You don't have any right in me. And then turn your eyes right back to Jesus. Okay. Number seven. Receive spiritual support and not sympathy. The default of the world is to seek sympathy. The default of the world is to have people just pouring out their sympathy on you. I want to define two words. I want to define sympathy and compassion. Sympathy isn't good. Sympathy feeds the issue. It feeds the problem. Sympathy is people agreeing with you in the problem. It's not people agreeing, agreeing with you in the solution. It's people agreeing with you in the problem. And when people are sympathy in sympathy with you, it nourishes the problem. The problem is magnified. Sympathy is compassion's counterfeit. It looks nice. It sounds nice. It might even make you feel good. But it doesn't help you. It doesn't support you. It acknowledges the existence of the problem, but it doesn't offer a solution. It acknowledges that there's a problem, but it can't offer any support, any, any fix to the problem. It offers coping skills versus deliverance. And in one of the books I was reading about this, it said, did Jesus ever give the blind man a seeing eye dog? Or did he give the lame man a cane? No. He gave them the answer to the problem. Sympathy gives coping skills. Sympathy doesn't help. What does help is strong spiritual support. What does help is compassion. Jesus moved with compassion. Compassion is practical, biblical, and bold. Compassion will have people standing with you and saying, I'm going to be strong with you. When you're feeling puny, call me. I'll pray. I'll talk to the devil. I'll say, get the heck out of the way. Call me. I'll stand in agreement with you, and we'll pray God's word together. That's compassion. 
That's strong spiritual support. Suzanne's friend that told her, don't call it my, don't say my, Suzanne. That's compassion. That's bold. That's biblical. That's practical. And that's going to help you. But if she says, oh, I'm so sorry for you. I'm so sorry you have arthritis. That's not going to help you. It's not going to deliver you. Give you coping skills, but it won't give you deliverance. This is a really tough one. It's a tough love one. I know, and I'm just going to be transparent here <laughs> about my husband. When, if any of you were here when he was going through knee surgery, he had knee surgery about two years ago. And he grew up in an environment where he, sympathy was always poured out in great big doses in his family whenever there was a problem. And he really wanted sympathy. A lot. A lot, a lot of sympathy. And I'm going to love him, and I'm going to take care of him and, you know, help him with stuff he needs help with. But this is what he needed the most. He needed the word, and he wasn't doing the word. He wasn't confessing the word. He wasn't speaking life. He was speaking about the problem and how bad he felt all the time, and he wanted sympathy. And I had to do the tough love thing. And I, I mean, I helped him do it. I was, I was um, offering um, deliverance instead of coping skills. So I set my alarm earlier, and I got up, and I said, okay, this is what we're going to do. I had to go to work. I stayed home a few days, but I had to go to work. I said, before I leave for work, we're praying the word together. Before I leave for work, we're praising and worshiping God together. And that's what we did. And, it, I mean, that's compassion saying honey I'm so sorry you feel bad you know tell me all that's not going to help them that's not going to help them so sympathy compassion two different things sympathy can be very destructive it feeds the problem illness recovery is going to be compassionate illness recovery is going to tell you the truth sometimes it might be a little bit hard to hear like if we have to say you're claiming it. If you claim it, you're going to have it. We may have to say that to you. But we're going to do it with love, and we're going to tell you how to speak differently. Maybe, um, maybe you're praying the word of God, but you're also talking about the problem a lot. And we may, with compassion, say, you're talking about the problem. Listen to yourself. You're magnifying the problem instead of magnifying the word, instead of magnifying the promise, instead of magnifying God. If you magnify the problem, that's what you're going to end up with. We may have to do that. That's compassion. Okay, we're on number eight. Fill your time with good stuff, not garbage. Okay, very often when you're in the middle of a battle, you have time. Uh, maybe you're not able to work and you have time. Time can be uh, a time that, uh, uh, an open avenue for the enemy to get in. What are you doing with the time? That's the question. Are you filling it with idle stuff? Are you filling it with stuff that isn't fruitful? It could even be harmful. Like lots of um, junk on TV. Or 
Are you filling your time with something that is going to feed you and be fruitful? The best example I have, and she's not here today because of the fireworks, but the best example I have is Yvonne, and I've shared her story many times. But when she was in the midst of her cancer battle, the cancer battle, when she was in the midst of that battle, she had a lot of fear. Her kids were in school, and she was a stay-at-home mom, so she had a lot of time during the day. And the enemy would attack her with fear, 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 fear. And this is what she did. She downloaded podcasts of good teaching, her favorite teacher to listen to on podcasts was Andrew Womack. She downloaded podcasts and she put earbuds in her ears. She couldn't just have it in the background of the stereo because that wasn't, that wasn't close enough. <laughs> she put those earbuds in her ears and she listened six to eight hours a day. She told me before that the enemy was attacking her so much and she was fighting and she was fighting and she was talking to the enemy and she was putting him under her feet and that fear just wouldn't leave her. And then she realized she was spending more time talking to the enemy than she was magnifying God. And that's when she put those earbuds in her ears and started filling her time with something good instead of junk. I have another person that I know of that I'm not going to mention names. This is a long time ago. And she was also fighting cancer. And she watched TV all day. And she watched stuff that was mindless because it took her mind off of other things. She watched reality TV. She watched talk shows. She watched Judge Judy. I don't even know because I don't even know what's on. But she didn't watch good stuff on TV. And her mom and I communicated. Her mom was very, was her strength. She wouldn't take her mother's advice. She wouldn't take my advice. And she didn't have a good result. It's a big difference what you're filling your time with. Number nine. Oh, I've got one more sentence. Oh, scripture. Can't forget the scripture. Psalm 119. Would you turn there with, in your Bible, please? Psalm 119. This talks about what you're filling your time with. I've got two different translations here because they, they're, they're both good and I, I couldn't decide which one I wanted to use. So Psalm 119, the New King James says, Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. So notice when you turn away from worthless, useless things, something else happens. You're revived. And then the next translation is even more clear. Turn away my eyes from beholding vanity, idols, and idolatry, and restore me to vigorous life and health in your ways. So you turn away from that junk, and then you're in a position to be revived and to receive wholeness and life, life and health, it says. Whatever you feed on the most will predominate in your life. So what are you feeding on? Whatever you feed on the most will predominate in your life. Okay, now we're on number nine, last one. Seek consistency, avoid confusion. Let's read the scripture, Psalm 71. Seek consistency and avoid confusion. Psalm 71, verse 1 says, in thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be put to confusion. In you, O Lord, do I put my trust. 
Let me never be put to confusion. So trust God and avoid confusion. The next scripture, 1 Corinthians 14, 33. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. God is not the author of confusion. My statement here, the default of the world, is confusion. The default of the world is to be fed all sorts of junk. When, especially when you're fighting something, people will come at you from every direction and tell you all sorts of things. They'll tell you, go here, go there, take this, take that, listen to this, go to this church, go to that one, read this. You'll get books like crazy. Some of those books you shouldn't be reading. All sorts of stuff. That's the default of the world. God's best is to avoid confusion. Confusion is of the enemy. Peace. Lack of confusion is of God. Now, this is a tough love word I'm going to give you right now. Does your church home agree with God's word? Does what you're hearing outside of church agree with God's word? Does what you're viewing and what you're listening to agree with God's word? When I was first diagnosed, I was going to a church that didn't agree with God's word. It taught that it wasn't always God's will. It didn't really teach about healing, period. But if you were to ask somebody, they would say, well, God can heal, but it might not be God's will. You know, he might choose to put that on you for whatever reason. That is a lie. The thief is the one that came to steal, kill, and destroy. That is a lie. So if you're hearing something different, then you're opening yourself to confusion. And it's really hard to have faith when you hear somebody who's a, or a woman or somebody that's a really powerful teacher, they sound credible. But if it's not founded on the word of God and the truth, then it can cause confusion. And that is another deception of the enemy. So it's very important to be in a home, in a place that you're fed the truth and that you're not confused. So avoid confusion. Seek truth and avoid confusion. Everything that we share here is based on the Word of God. And if you have questions, ask. We will do our best to share from God's truth what, why we say what we say or why I say what I say. That's what Jenny did for me. When I went to her with questions, the first thing she did was open her Bible. And then she answered my question based on what the Bible said. Okay. You can reprogram your operating system, and it's not hard. It's not hard. God is so good. He loves us so much. He makes it easy for us. Are you positioned to receive, or are you positioned to be deceived? Now, don't get into condemnation. You might be saying right now, oh, I did this and this, but then I did this and this and this, and then I did one of these good ones, and oh my gosh, you know, I'm in a bad place. No. God right now is revealing his heart to you. He's revealing his truth to you. This is a treasure. Knowledge of God's truth is a treasure. 
and along with it comes his benefits. He's got a lot of good benefits for us. Okay, we're going to close right now, and then I'm going to um, just share some, um, some things that God has shared with me, I believe, to give to you. Kent's going to turn off the camera. And-